mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and I'm about to welcome you to another exciting episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I'm about to dial up Sean P. shortly, and we've got a lot to cover for you this evening. We've got the Apple event coming up tomorrow. We've got many, many, many Pixel 4 leaks, and we've also got some other Samsung stuff that we haven't had a chance to cover yet, so we're going to talk about it tonight. So give me two shakes, and let's ring him up. Sean Spring as I live and die. What is up? Not much. Business as usual? Uh, same old. I'm uh, trying something new, so we're going to be doing a uh, live simulcast. Well, not really live because I'm recording it, but I am recording it for our YouTube fans out there. So uh, say, hello uh, to, say hello to everybody in YouTube land. Hello everyone in YouTube land. Perfect. Um, we've got a lot to cover, and I wanted to probably start with the Apple stuff first because that's most immediate. Uh, with the event coming up tomorrow. So, ooh, hot mic. Get a little bit of feedback from my uh, phone here. That's kind of wacky. Um, and then we can cover the Pixel stuff and then maybe the uh, Samsung stuff at the end. What do you think? Yeah, sounds like Okay. Let's jump in. Cool, Bill. So, what, um, what do you feel about the Apple event tomorrow? What's your, um, what's your take on what Apple's got to show us tomorrow? Based on the leaks, if I were to sum it up in one word, it would be boring. Boring? Yeah, look, we, we've talked about it for years. I think we just have to realize that we're like super niche users who care about things like specs and new technology. And every couple of years, Apple does one of these events where they effectively take their design and they're on like a three-year cycle now. So they're going to show phones that are identical what they had last year except for they added a camera to each one of them and it has the normal stuff like a processor upgrade and they'll probably add an extra gig of ram or something um but really it's it's boring i mean it it literally is the same phone as last year with a really ugly camera bump um the xr i still refuse to call it 10 uh, replacement gets one extra camera so it'll have two sounds like a normal camera in a wide angle and then the uh pro their new higher-end phones are going to have three cameras, wide-angle, telephoto, and kind of the normal camera. And this is, I don't know, it's hard to get excited. Android phones have been rocking the three-camera setup for quite some time now. Uh, A few of them, yeah. You know, they'll have the upgraded processor, and I've seen some benchmarks which show a little bit of improvement, but not much. I think the the years where they're doing these massive 10 or 15% improvement plus maybe I don't know, coming to an end, although we'll see when the official benchmarks come out. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Supposedly, it may have Apple Pencil support, and it was supposed to have reverse wireless charging like Huawei and Samsung have, but then there was a report that came out today that said they scrapped that at the last minute, and it may not have that. So That same report, by the way, mentioned that uh, probably not going to have Apple Pencil support either. Yeah, yeah. so I don't really know. I, I'm just... I think the design's ugly. They haven't been a class leader in design in a while. Whoa, wait, 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 whoa, whoa. Tell me how you really feel. Well, I think <laughs> I am. The, the notch is huge. Everyone else at least had the decency to either shrink the notch or kind of do things different, like the hole punch or the pop-up camera or whatever, and they just start sticking completely pat where they were. And so it's just, I don't know. As you said, it's unexciting. Yeah, I hear you, and... To think that we've got a couple things going on. So we've got basically what will be presumably the iPhone XR successor, which is rumored to be called just the iPhone 11. And then we're going to have two layers above that, the iPhone 11 Pro, which would in essence replace, replace the iPhone XS, and then the completely absurdly named iPhone 11 Pro Max, which will replace the XS Max. And 
again, the base camera will have the two lenses, the pro cameras will have the three, and presumably some efforts to really focus on photography, as well as, um, you know, maybe a few other artificial intelligence or machine learning features on the device. But I think Apple's really in a moment where, and I first heard this, um, I first heard this on Rene Ritchie's Vector podcast, where I think he realizes that Apple may have made a mistake and that what they've done is they put the standard iPhone as the 10s and then the 10s Max is like their super expensive big one and then the 10R was kind of in the middle in terms of like spec and size but it was the cheapest and he is speculating that they may have misled or confused consumers to the point where people were like well I can't really afford the regular iPhone, but I don't want to have the 10R because it's basically a statement that says that I can't afford anything but the cheap iPhone. And so when you're buying an iPhone as much as a status symbol as you are for actual functionality, it kind of puts people off. And it this new nomenclature kind of brings it more in line with Apple's regular line of hardware. So you have your iPad, and you have your iPad Air, and you have your iPad Pro, right? And then you have your MacBook, you have your MacBook Air, and then you have the MacBook Pro and everybody just kind of falls in line like if you need the regular thing you get the MacBook and then if you need you know ultra portable or whatever you get the MacBook Air and then if you need um, you know professional grade stuff you get the Pro version and and he thinks that that's what Apple's doing with realigning these things and making them into man I'm getting some crazy feedback here um, he's really he really thinks that Apple's re-strategizing around um, the whole brand this year. And aside from the features and functionality and all this kind of stuff, is there anything at all that excites you about the iPhone? No, I mean, like, that strategy makes sense if I care about the product. Unfortunately, I don't. I know I'm in the minority. The iPhone XR sold more units last month or quarter. I can't remember what I just read with any other phone on the market. People clearly don't care. So I represent this, like, extreme minority. But look, there's no way to objectively look at the iPhones and argue that they're bringing anything compelling from a hardware standpoint or from a value standpoint, certainly, to the market anymore. They are a commodity, and people who are in the Apple you know, OS, iOS infrastructure don't care. They're going to buy them anyway, regardless of the fact that they're way too expensive for what they are, regardless of the fact that they haven't been a hardware leader for years. Um, and that's fun. I understand the reasons for that. People just want a phone that quote-unquote works. And they've been using iPhones forever now, and they're just going to buy the newest one. But as someone that is interested in kind of watching new technology and, and more cutting-edge stuff and seeing where these other OEMs are going in Android land, there's just no argument that anything Apple's doing is compelling. Sorry. You know, it sounds like they may show a sneak peek of their augmented reality glasses, which I'm trying desperately to think of any reason to care about or a use case that's compelling. Just like the AR in their phones, I mean, does anyone care? Is, is anyone doing anything with AR at this point? So you know you know quite a few people with iPhones, fair to say? Yes. Okay. So, I have one. Well, work. fair enough. You do too. This is, this is true. But I mean, in terms of like the actual, you know, current generation or previous generation iPhones, like with Face ID and all that, because that's yeah. when really the augmented reality platform started to, to be touted as something that Apple was going to try and vision their way into. Have you ever seen or heard of anybody using their, um, uh, what do they call it? AR emoji thing. Like, have you seen anybody do that? Use it at all? No. Anybody you know? No. I mean, maybe the first day they got the phone, they did, like, you know, some stupid poop emoji where, you know, like, used their face as a reference point and created something. It's possible, but does anyone really give a shit about that? No, and that's my point, is that augmented reality does have applications, does have certain you know, use cases for most modern consumers. Well, I was going to say it does have use cases, but not for most modern consumers. Like when we talked about Google Glass, we go, oh, wow, there's a now a training module that people can take where they can actually take apart a car in augmented reality using these glasses. Like the medical profession might have a situation where they go, oh, we want you to practice surgery except not on a live person. And so use these augmented reality glasses to practice your skills. There's not really any other 
scenario, especially from a consumer standpoint, that this makes any kind of sense at all, especially at the price and the premium that Apple's going to be charging for it. Yeah, I just uh, wake me up when they do something interesting. It's been years. I, I guess the iPhone 10 was the last time they even attempted to do something interesting, and yeah, it has some fine stuff in it at the time, and I'm just bored with everything they do, and I don't understand why people continue to, other than they're just an ecosystem they're not going to change. Other than that, I can't think of a reason to stay. There's plenty of people that fit into that. Good for them. But I don't know. It's just boring. I still use iOS. I mean, I'm running the 13.1 beta on my work phone, and you know, it has dark mode and some stuff, but iOS is just... It's, it's stable and boring, and their phones are stable and boring, and I totally understand why people buy them, because they're totally reliable, and they're used to how they work, but... I'm, I'm actually... Following along, I just... What is there to get excited... I'm actually going to push back on that. I was excited about an Apple product. No, I'm pushing back on that because I'm I'm on the iOS 13.1 beta on my work phone too. And let me tell you something. It is not stable. It is a hot mess. I can't get email to work right. A lot of apps crash. Like it is, I'm, I was. I just took the Android 10 uh, update on my Pixel device, and as I think I told you off the air, like I did a factory reset, and so far it's been working pretty good. And I'll tell you what, it's actually working a heck of a lot better than iOS 13 is. And Apple's got problems if they think that's going to be the finished version of their product, especially when the hardware is so mature and so stable, like you say, like you know what you're getting in an Apple product when you buy it, but... I just don't know about their software. And actually, to me, that's the most interesting thing about this event because we're actually at a point where they are doing 13.1 beta 2 developer releases. Like, have you ever seen of a one beta version that came out before the actual, like, live number test? You know what? I, I, when I say stay on talking, I don't typically penalize companies for when I'm running betas. So... You're right. My email doesn't work either. I have to actually, you know, swipe it away and reopen it in order to get it to refresh. And I'm having some other buggy stuff. Um, I'm talking about the, the actual release, which I'm presuming will be better because generally it has been. But you're right. They have had a couple of actual buggy OS releases in 13. As far as the betas go, 11 and 12, certainly 12 was more stable for me than 13 has been. 13 has been pretty buggy. So that's true. I guess I just have the expectation that the official release will probably be pretty solid. But to your point, I'm running a um, beta of OS, excuse me, Android 10 on a, I have a OnePlus 7 Pro that I'm using as my daily right now. And it's significantly, it, it has bugs too, but you're right, it's more stable than iOS 13 has been. And it's crazy. And again, I'm not going to bash uh, Apple for bugs in a beta developer beta release at that, but it, it certainly isn't as polished and it certainly isn't as ready to go as I would expect from a launch announcement that's actually coming tomorrow. So yeah, that worries me a little bit. But just to circle back to the phones, I agree with you. I think we're at a point where Apple kind of realizes that the iPhone really isn't their bread and butter so much anymore. Now they're going to sell, you know, a whole bunch of these devices, no no doubt about it, but they're realizing that services is kind of where the future lies. They're allegedly going to be dropping some additional hardware that we'll talk about in just a minute that that again will kind of bring people more deeply and more heavily invested into their ecosystem and the, the phone is, it's strange. It seems like, even though it's going to be the headliner of the show, and it always is, it seems like more of an afterthought this year. And would you, I mean, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist guy uh, role right now, but do you think Apple is the one that's maybe behind these leaks or at least involved in some of these leaks because they know that their hardware product's not really going to excite anybody this year? It's hard to say. There's a lot of conspiracy theories, and I think EV Leaks has said that occasionally the companies did leak things to them directly, but generally not. Apple produces, what, 100 million of these a year, so I think with the supply chain that they At have least, to run yeah. with multiple OEMs producing parts for them, schematics and things just leaked out, and that's kind of the way things go. But, yeah, I think if you're going to release a product that's not necessarily so exciting, you... If can, these leaks come out and there may be some control or whatnot, it probably is good to get ahead of it because it kind of tempers people's expectations going in a little bit. 
I don't think there's a whole lot of mystery on the phones for tomorrow left. We'll see. Maybe we'll be proven wrong, but there isn't a whole lot of mystery. People know what they're going to be getting, and there's probably a bunch of people waiting to upgrade that'll do it anyway, but just from a general electronic standpoint and from a general phone, smartphone standpoint of what OEMs are pushing things and who are doing interesting things, Apple's bringing nothing to the table that doesn't already exist. OnePlus at least has the 90 hertz screen this year. That was unique. The whole punch screens of the Samsung, especially with the Note 10, have these incredibly tiny bezels and kind of these little punch punches. From a design standpoint, they have also the reverse wireless charging that the Samsungs do. Huawei does. We've had triple cameras in Android phones for God knows how long. We're starting to move, I think, into quad cameras now. So <laughs> yeah, Motorola yeah. just released their phone with a quad camera in it not yeah. that long ago. And Apple's never been like usually one to be on the cutting edge of technology and I understand that they don't have 5G this year most phones shouldn't there is no real 5G network here in the United States it's all sort of crap so Amen I don't to that. at all for not having that but just generally speaking looking at the phone itself it's just hard to argue that there's anything interesting going on they're not higher resolution screens they're not high refresh screens the cameras aren't really pushing the envelope beyond what other people have done I don't know I just I know this sounds incredibly negative, and I, I don't think I think the phones will be fine. I think they'll be great phones that a lot of people will buy, and they'll be perfect for people that want them. But if you're just actually looking at the marketplace, there's just not a whole lot interesting happening here. Did you read the um, Did you read the report that the notch is going to be the same size too? That they're not even reducing it in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, they're not at all. It's it's going to look the same. So. <laughs> But it's all new and improved, and it's got um, a camera hump, which is arguably even uglier than the Pixel 4s. Oh, I mean, it's incredibly ugly. The back of that phone is incredibly ugly. I mean, a number of phones have been released because they're trying to fit all these cameras on that are not particularly great-looking, but I would say definitely the iPhone ranks amongst the ugliest ones I've seen yet. And that's saying something, right? I mean, (laughs) of all the OEMs, it's like they used to be kind of a leader in design and under the Joni Ivy days it was like very and Steve Jobs everything had to be meticulous and beautiful and perfect and aligned and all of that and it's like this is ugly they just grafted a giant square with three camera lenses that are kind of offset it's just it's an ugly design period. and to be fair when we were under uh, Sir Joni Ive we did have to pronounce it aluminium so I guess I'm grateful for that change but yeah, he can, he can do whatever he wants, but Apple's design peaked with, like, the iPhone 4, Four. I yeah. would say. And I actually saw on, then, I saw on Twitter today that somebody said that um, the iPhone 4 was the best-looking iPhone of all time. Fight me, that kind of thing. No, it was. It's the, I totally agree. I think the 6 was slightly uglier, uh, and then they've gotten subsequently mostly uglier since. I think the 10, though, design is actually okay. But, yeah, this new one's just ugly. And that's fine. Like people, again, people don't care about how it looks. Yeah, they're still going to buy it. They've proven that over and over again. They just don't care. They're going to buy it anyway, and that's for a number of reasons that are totally valid. But that doesn't negate the fact that it's ugly. It's ugly. No, fair enough. Um, what do you think about the um, the the secret tile competitor that Apple's rumored to be putting together, and that the um, iOS 13 code has kind of revealed? I've been reading up on it. I think the most interesting thing that we'll have to see there is whether or not they do like a you can buy an outright version or they're going to try to be subscription based. Um, that's been kind of the most, I think, as, as far as things that are still unknown, that's the thing that's kind of floating around out there that no one really knows definitively yet. And I'll be interested to see what they come up with because if it's subscription based, which Apple has been trying to move to that model for a number of things then, like, I can't think of it again, well, I'll have to see what it actually does, but I can't think of a compelling reason I would want to pay a subscription fee for that for the rest of eternity, but I also can't think of a reason why I would want a stupid, stupid Apple credit card made of titanium that I can't put in my blue jeans, so um, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about it. To be fair, you also can't put it in your blue, uh, you can't put it in your leather wallet either because it'll stain it. Um, Which is one of the most, I mean... This is just, I, I'm sorry, you, you've caught me in a mood, but it's just like, people who buy Apple products will buy whatever they do. They will do these things. I know people who are getting the Apple card, and it just, it's incredible to me, because there literally is no objective reason to do it. At this point, it is blind, just allegiance Apple sheepery. to Apple, and it's, it's the same kind of morons that are still supporting Trump. It's like, 
and, and it's the same hero worship nonsense that goes on with Tesla sometimes. It's like, I don't understand it. Even in the face of overwhelming objective evidence that what you're saying is wrong, they continue to believe it and will continue to pay any price or, or do whatever it takes to buy everything Apple. And I'm just not like that. I'm not brand loyal. Um, I tend to really survey the market on anything I buy and kind of make a decision. And so it's really hard for me to understand that mindset because to me, this just seems like a whole bunch of bullshit. And again, Apple really just is not in the phone space, the stupid credit card, the tile competitor. I don't know. What are they doing? I think, and I had some time to think about it today when I was looking at some of the reports earlier. And to me, this is a services play. So they understand that they have a very unique opportunity. And, you know, in looking around at the marketplace, they're like, again, you know, what other ways can we expand the value prop with people who already own the devices that are going to end up in our ecosystem? As as there are, as we've already talked about, there are hundreds of millions of these iPhones out in the wild. They're potentially ping spots for location-based services. And, you know, Apple's going to tout that they do it better than anybody else. They do it with more privacy than anybody else. And they're going to make, you know, the pictures and renders that I've seen are, you know, it's like this perfect sphere. It looks like a, you know, literally like if you took a, an iPhone and smashed it flat and made it into the size of, you know, like a, like a Kennedy half dollar, um, and put an Apple logo on it. Like that's literally what their tile tracker is going to be. I think it's, I think it could be compelling from a couple of different reasons. One, again, you're already invested in the Apple ecosystem. So you've got a lot of incentive to buy their product over a competing product. Like in this case, tile, you've got perhaps a, maybe a subscription based model, or maybe you can just get away with doing what tile does, which is you can buy it, you can replace the battery. And in essence, you can opt for a, you know, like pro level version that'll give you access to some different features, or you can just buy a pack of two of them for 50 bucks and call it a day. Now, the thing that really kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say irked me because that's not the right word. I'm not feeling angsty one way or the other about an Apple tile competing product, but competing product, but They've got the render that I saw, if it actually pans out, eliminates one of the things that is really attractive to me about Tile, and that's the ease of putting it on your key ring and having it track your keys. Because I think this is not only something that's incredibly important to most people, but it's also the item that usually gets lost the most. So their tracker looked like it would be easily slipped inside of a wallet or your backpack or something like that, but it doesn't end up being the most compelling value proposition, which is it's got a loop on it, I can throw my keys on it and just call it a day. Now, maybe I just didn't see it in the render that I saw, or maybe, you know, maybe they don't have it either way. But I think like we've already discussed, there are going to be a number of people who are going to see this and they're going to go, I didn't know I wanted this because they didn't know about the tile product. They didn't know about the, you know, the whole, you know, uh, what do I want to call this? Like, you know, mesh geolocation kind of service. And they're going to say, that's a great idea. Why hasn't anybody else thought about that? And they're going to proclaim Apple, the greatest company in the history of all companies and, you know, full speed ahead buy it. But for me, this is definitely an extension of the services play. You're going to have the Apple tile. You're going to have the Apple TV. You're going to have the Apple music. They just announced that Apple music has an app for the web now. So you can basically get on it anytime you want from any device that you want, even if you're a Windows user. And they're just giving you one more reason to get locked into that walled garden. And, you know, as as plays go, the tile competitor is not a bad one. Like it's a probably a, a low effort. Um, high cost, high dollar return for them. Because basically what you're doing is you're putting, you know, like a GPS dot in a battery and, you know, in a, sandwiching it in, you know, aluminum and glass, sorry, aluminum and glass. And then you're basically just going, hey, go go buy these for 20 bucks a pop and people are going to do it. So, right. Um, but I mean, we just spent minutes talking about a potential tile competitor. How boring is the Apple keynote that this is one of the most intriguing things in it? How it's pretty boring, fall? actually. Like, really? Do I really give a shit about a tile competitor? I mean, it's not that I don't, and it's fine if they offer it, and I have nothing against it, but it's like, Apple did some really cool stuff, and their keynotes used to be really exciting, and it's like, is this what we're reduced to? We tread phones that are just have an extra camera and are uglier than the previous year, and then 
maybe a tile contender that could do some. I, I think it's a stretch right now without knowing more, but maybe it does a little bit more. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it definitely marks maybe the end of, at least for this cycle, the end of Apple's you know real uh, hardware development. And maybe like Motorola, maybe they went, you know, we've, we're locked into this form factor for at least a couple of years, like Motorola did with their Moto Mods. And maybe they just said, you know what, we're just, like you say, we're going to go on a three-year cycle of refresh instead of a two-year cycle. It saves us money in R&D. It gives us more time to put more effort and leverage more of our resources into actually doing things that are truly useful. Uh, although that didn't turn out so well, not only with the um, reverse wireless charging on but these you're, phones, you're allegedly. You're talking but about one of the richest. They literally have so much money, they don't know what to do with it. And they're trying to save money on R&D? Like, what? Well, I don't I mean, think I don't think save is the right word, but maybe make it more valuable. Maybe try and find more breakthroughs because yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a harder time doing it now than they ever have in the past. People aren't what gonna was be their wild. Last breakthrough? <sighs> Face ID. I'm kind of. It's the best implementation of something that existed, which is often what they do. And I'll give them credit where credit is due. But I think it's a stretch. What else we got? Um, air power? <laughs> Too soon? Well, of course. I mean, air power, that goes without saying. <laughs> Too soon? Why, <laughs> no, why is I, Apple bad? Just, why is Apple bad at wireless charging? I guess, I, I guess, okay, so just think what we're saying, though. Okay, so Apple's no longer the innovator, right? They're releasing retread designs despite, despite the fact that they're literally one of the richest companies on planet Earth and has more cash than they know what to do with. They haven't really released a breakthrough product in so long I can hardly remember. Um, so what does that make them? I mean, it makes them a tech company that produces fine products. Okay? Yeah, I, I think... Mean, say what you know about Samsung, and it's been a disaster with the Fold. It's, you know, got delayed, and they're just going to now get it out. But again, like, they're doing something. I would say the Note 10 design is vastly superior to what we're seeing from Apple. It looks at least a half generation, if not a full generation above has more features. The Fold, despite its problems, is again a probably a, a couple of years ahead. And it's a flawed product. There's no question. I mean, to the point that they had to scrub a launch and delay it six months to even get it out the door. Yeah. And it's insanely expensive. But again, if you want to talk innovation, there it is. And even OnePlus, which is kind of this really small OEM compared to the guys we're talking about, the OnePlus yeah. 7 Pro has pop-up camera almost full screen and 90 hertz which i have to tell you having it i love and can't really imagine going back to a device that didn't have it it's really in a day-to-day use thing something that you really notice so if these companies can do these things and even google like we're going to talk about the pixel 4 say what you will they're gonna, they're doing some cool and unique stuff i i just don't understand why apple's getting any kind of pass yeah, and it is it is kind of strange because if you think about it, Apple used to be the company that was producing these magical devices, and it does seem now like they've kind of been lapped by Samsung, who in kind of their race to get ahead of Apple has actually done some things that are very forward-thinking. And I'll, I'll call out the Fold especially, although you could, you could certainly use the Note 10's design, as you've already stated, as being superior to anything that Apple's done in the last, you know, pick a year. I think the Galaxy 10 and 10 Plus are better designs than S10? the iPhones that we're about to see. And, and again, Samsung's not, let's, let's not get, you know, two rose-colored goggles. It's like, they literally released an exploding phone two years ago, and the Fold was such a disaster they had to delay it for six months. So, Does it, did it really explode, though? Problems. Did it really but, explode? Was that, a, was that a false flag planted by Apple? Thing. But at least, they, at least they're pushing the envelope. I mean, look, I'm not arguing that it's good to push the envelope to the point that you're releasing products that explode or you're having like failures like the Fold. But I do have to say from an innovation standpoint, say what you will, it's like they're trying. And then you even have like the oppos of the world with this and Huawei is about to release a phone with this like super uh, waterfall side screen where it kind of bleeds into the bezel and there's no more side bezel at all, potentially no more buttons. Whether these things are going to be good for users or not are up for debate. Like I would argue that the curved glass screens on a lot of the phones really serve no purpose. If I could have a flat screen version of this phone, I think I would prefer it. Yeah, I agree. Instance. But agreed. At least they're trying things. 
what is Apple doing? Yeah, nothing, nothing amazing. But I think that there, there is value in examining the fold from a, from an idea standpoint. So they took an engineering piece and brought it to reality. And yeah, it wasn't ready. It was much more of a prototype than it was an actual finished product. But they, they did release it, and people in the wild actually tested it and put it through its paces, and they found some, or at least two, very obvious design flaws. The screen protector, which wasn't a screen protector, came off super easy, and there was nothing to tell people not to take it off. And the openness of the chassis invited debris inside of it, and it caused, you know, basically damage to the display. So this this new generation of Galaxy Folds will be better for it. And yeah, maybe Samsung spent a ton of cash in putting in a you know live testing prototype out into the field when they could have probably found those things out with, you know, an internal dog food testing. But the the real value here is they got press out of it. And whether it was good or not so great, they still got some press out of it. And ultimately people are going to know what the Galaxy Fold is. There was a re-release, as I know that you know, and I'm sure that you read the same report that I did, their re-release sold out in Korea. And yeah, they probably only made like a thousand of them. But still, there are people who are still anxious for this phone, not because of what it is right now, but what it represents. And also, again, like Apple devices, from a certain standpoint, to carry it around as a status symbol. And I know that you wanted it almost for that same reason. Like, we talked about this. How cool would it be to pull a phone out of your pocket and then fold it open and it turns basically from a fold and from a phone into like a small tablet and people are going to lose their minds over it. That's definitely something that from a technology enthusiast standpoint and from a regular consumer standpoint is pretty damn cool. And Samsung at least tried something. Maybe they didn't succeed, but Apple also had Antennagate and you know they put out a phone that you could attenuate by squeezing it in certain places. So everybody's got their um, everybody's got their flaws everybody's got their products that you know will explode but there is the the cycle that we're in right now is Apple was the innovator and Samsung is the innovator and that I think is definitely a strange reversal of fortune from the past you know five to seven years I think most companies are innovating ahead of Apple Huawei Oppo OnePlus Samsung, so I just named literally the largest OEMs outside of Apple, or shouting even, are all doing things that are more interesting, pushing the envelope in different directions than Apple is. And none of them will outsell Apple, and, and I'm, I'm not arguing that. I'm just merely, like, iPhones are fine. I'm, I'm not arguing that you shouldn't buy an iPhone either. I'm just saying that their products are boring right now and have been for some years, and wake me up when they do something interesting. I hear you. Another company that might be doing something very innovative is Google. But before we get on to the Pixel 4 and some of the leaks that we've seen about that, what else from the event that Apple's going to unveil tomorrow has any kind of interest for you? So we'll probably see something about the Apple TV, which, you know, whatever, it's just as bad as the phones. We're probably going to see this Tile competitor. Okay, we've talked about that. We're going to see the phones. That'll be the keynote and wrap up. What else? Is there anything else that Apple's got going on? Doesn't look like it. Fair enough. I mean, I've been browsing the subreddits and other things, and I don't, I don't think that there's anything like else really rumored to be happening, right? Yeah, not that I've seen. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk around iOS and iOS 13, and I think what it can do for people, and and how the. Um, the the setup of the camera is going to be for, especially for the pro models like they'll talk a good game about the photography and make it a key point of their presentation about the phones but i think this may be one of the shortest keynotes in uh, in apple history but we'll see we'll be watching tomorrow we're going to be reading the news and um we'll definitely have to talk about it afterwards so speaking of another company that is trying to innovate in the space we've seen a lot of leaks of the pixel 4 we've gone from what is Google doing? This is wrong. The Pixel 3 is a disaster. Apple better hit it out of the park. Or Apple better hit it out Google better hit it out of the park and come, you know, come correct with something that's going to be freaking awesome to make up for all of the challenges that the Pixel 3 and 3XL had. And also as a way of apologizing for that giant notch that the Pixel 3XL came out with. And 
it was certainly the Pixel 3s were some of their worst selling phones of the year. And then they kind of balanced that out with the 3A and the 3A XL, a much more value-focused phone. And then we started to get some of the stuff around the Pixel 4. So we've got two devices. We've got no-notch. We've got a single front-facing camera instead of a dual front-facing camera. But now we have two cameras on the back instead of one. So like a man's receding hairline, the camera went from front to the back. And then we've got some other really interesting stuff in terms of the display. Could Well, not could be. More than likely is going to be 90 hertz. We're going to have a camera with a standard aperture and then a 8x telephoto from what I've seen and heard so far. That in combination with their super high-res zoom, which uses the um, the shaking of the gyroscope to um, enhance digital uh, zoomed photos. We've got some really interesting assistant stuff. We've got Project Soli, which is their radar no-touch uh, motion gestures thing. We've got some really interesting stuff from a photography standpoint, like maybe astrophotography, maybe you know better motion capture for moving subjects with the camera. And we've got a good-sized battery in the Pixel 4 XL, 3,700 milliamp hours, if I remember right. The little one's probably going to be a little bit disappointing. I think it's 2,700 milliamp hours, which I think is too small. But we kind of went from a place where Google doesn't know what they're doing and they've lost their minds and the Pixel 3 is a dumpster fire and they need to get out of the hardware business to, hey, the Pixel 4 and Pixel 4 XL might actually be pretty cool. And I read a kind of like an opinion piece from Daniel Bader over at Android Central where he said, is the Pixel 4 going to be the phone of the year? How did we get from the Pixel 3 is a dumpster fire to the Pixel 4 might be pretty damn good so fast? I think a couple reasons. First of all, it's funny. We've always kind of made fun of the Pixels for their design always looked like a full generation to maybe even further back behind everyone else. Let's not mention the the Pixel 1. Yeah, let's not go there. Uh, Sorry, say again? The the Pixel 1, don't remind me. It was not fantastic. And it's weird. Like, they've not embraced the bezel-less look. Revolution. Um, The bezel-less revolution. There's a phone that has a rather decent sized forehead although not something that I would consider to be like ridiculous um, in fact photos leaked out just before we went on I don't know about an hour ago two units the black and the panda um, powered on and they're actually like if I were to describe it it looks kind of like the galaxy it looks it reminds me a lot of my um, Note 8 only with like a very slim bottom bezel I guess it looks like a Note 9 because they're asymmetrical but the design is unique I would say one, it kind of has a uniform bezel mostly around. I kind of like the way it looks, despite the fact that it doesn't look quite as futuristic as some of the other Android phones out there. I like the fact that the screen's flat. And yeah, the forehead, I'm okay with them having a little bit of bezel as long as there's a purpose for it. It's, as you already stated, it has a camera, it has Project Soli, it has this radar system that's supposed to have a very, very sophisticated face unlock system um, that perhaps surpasses Apple's. Uh, version of that we'll see and so it's it's really and it's camera i was just reading another shootout today of someone taking pictures with a note 10 versus a pixel 3 so this is last year's phone the pixel 3 was taking better pictures so this is one of those things where i think you know it's nice they added a dual camera i'll be honest i'm not as interested in the telephoto as i would be in a wide angle i think wide angles where it's at if you only have two but yeah same here i think the eight of zoom has utility um Somehow their version looks less ugly than the Apple version, too. Like, it has the black camera square that's very similar, but I don't know what it is. It looks slightly better somehow when I'm looking at these real-life images. It doesn't, look that, um, it doesn't look that thick, either. When they showed the, the release video, well, the rumored release video on Twitter, when they rotated the camera sideways, or they rotated the phone sideways, the camera hump didn't look that thick. Like, it looked thicker in earlier renders. So it doesn't, you know, again, when you slap a case on it, I don't think it's going to be that bad looking. No, we're, and we've seen, like, I really like the Panda variant that just leaked out again tonight. It's, panda, it's Panda, the Panda. Black, um, the black sides, but it has the white uh, back and everything. It has, you know, the colorful orange button that looks pretty neat. And then we've seen an actual full-on orange version that is like you know orange orange all the way and do you know why it's, it's orange it's too. do you know why it's orange 
don't know, I was like, you know, I'm sure you're going to make some bad pun here shortly. Go ahead. How dare you, sir? How dare you? How, yeah. Do you, do you think I would really stoop so low as to make a bad pun about the color of a phone? Absolutely. Go ahead, do it. You're probably right. Uh, you know why it's orange? Because yeah. it's the color of fire, baby. That phone's going to be fire. Uh, <laughs> can you cut that out of the final? Dora, it's, it, it won't make it. I'll cut that. It'll, it, won't, it won't show up in post. We'll be fine. Sweet baby Jesus. Um, <laughs> no, but, but like, again, so it's in a lot of ways, I, I would say Google's a fascinating company. Like, uh, they, much like Apple, they have prioritized function over form. And I think that backfired in things like the Pixel 3 XL with that just absolutely god-awful, atrocious notch that is going to go down even in the, as the worst notch in the notch era, which is just that's that, amazing. That's saying uh, something, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's tremendously bad. But again, this design, while not being super cutting edge, somehow is, looks it looks good and is endearing and the functionality is interesting. Now, I don't know. The 3D face unlock, I'm totally interested in, especially if it's a better implementation of Apple's. I mean, yeah, that's great. I'm not so sure when I think about the radar hand gestures. I could see some utility for it, though. It's like, you know, there is a use case for your washing the dishes or whatever, and you want to skip songs or what have you, and you can just wave your hand over without touching your phone. Like, that's interesting. That's not a game changer for me. I wouldn't say that's something where it's like, oh, I have to have that. I'm a little bit worried that the gestures could end up being gimmicky, but at least, they're, again, they're doing something interesting and they're doing something unique, and I at least give them credit for that. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that Google's you know, there was some talk about, you know, how uh, this, the Pixel 3 was kind of the last phone from the, um, the external group um, before they brought the HTC folks fully in-house and had to do their own design re-change re of the language and how they really wanted it to be. And so the Pixel 4 in some ways might actually be the first true Google phone from a both form and function standpoint. And I think that they're taking some risks, which... I think in in some respect, Rick Osterloh and his team realized that maybe they need to kind of do because of the the negative press that surrounded the Pixel Three. So you know, in a lot of these things, and R and D cycles are much further ahead in development, just you know, a year away. Like they've probably been working on these things for a couple of years now, but project solely. So is there? Could it be just like LG's air gestures and be mostly a gimmick? Yes. Do I trust Google to maybe implement it better than LG? Yeah, probably. Like what they've done with machine learning and some of the other tweaks that they've done, like things like now playing and things like the squeeze for activating the Google Assistant have have been seen initially as gimmicky, but it's actually in real life use turned out to be incredibly useful. I use the squeeze gestures all the time when I have my pixel with me and the now playing thing is something that's so useful. It's almost indispensable. There's not hardly any time when I'm listening to something out in the world and I go, Oh man, what's that song? And instead of having to actually execute a command, the phone already knows it and it just displays on the lock screen. Like I think in some ways, Google's taking these chances because they go, okay, we've got to find a way to differentiate ourselves and we've got to kind of find a way to distance ourselves from the past. So how can we best do that? What do people want to do? Well, people want to take good pictures in low light. Boom, you get night sight. Um, I don't know if there's anybody really asking to take the picture of the night sky, but hey, maybe it's just better night sight. And so you're getting that kind of as like a nice little side effect, a nice little bonus. But the other stuff that I've heard about the assistant, things like being able to use duplex to make phone calls, make reservations for you, all the way up to the most recent rumor, which is the fact that the Pixel and the Google Assistant will be able to take over calls that are you're on hold for. And it'll actually just notify you when there's a live person that comes back on the line. This is the kind of stuff that, and as the video kind of showed, you know, from the people who made you this, like, and then they show maps and they show YouTube and they show a bunch of other stuff. Like, it, it seems like Google is really now invested in understanding how people use their phone and then giving them a phone that actually improves the quality of the things that they do every day. Yeah, they're probably not going to have, you know, the longest battery life. They're probably not going to have the best looking screen. But the things that matter to people the most are, Decent battery life, good camera, and regular, if not software updates, but security updates. And Google's committed to all of those things. Their camera is going to be class leading. The battery life is going to be 
especially on the big one, probably good enough. And they're committing to three years of updates for, you know, major OS variants and security patches. So it, well, not only that, I'm telling you the 90 Hertz screen is like a game changer for me. I, I literally wouldn't go back. So it's, they're going to be only the second real OEM in the United States anyway, to have that and to offer that. And the first on a real mainstream flagship because the OnePlus 7 Pro, I think it's not quite, it's not as mainstream as the Pixel, certainly. So it's one of those things where that's a big deal, too. Uh, yeah, I, I give them credit. It's kind of They're kind of charting their own course, and sometimes that can be bad. But I will say in this case, like, you know, in the land of ugly notches, I think they learned their lesson and said, geez, that was really bad. Let's not do that again. They couldn't do the whole punch with an AMOLED screen because Samsung's display oh, had a guarantee on that for a year, um, so no one else could do it. So really their choice would have been to do some kind of waterfall notch or notched flagship or kind of this design they settled in. And all things considered, I think the design they settled in actually makes a lot of functional sense. As I said, I love that it's a flat screen. It's 90 hertz. It's, it, you know, the, the larger one has a 3,700 hour battery, so that's pretty good. Although I'm guessing their implementation of the 90 hertz will probably be dynamic like OnePlus. It'll turn off maybe more aggressively because there is a battery hit for that. But uh, yeah, I think they're doing a bunch of really interesting things, and so they stand out in that regard. It's like they are pushing the envelope in areas where I go, again, at least that's interesting. And so the Google phones hold a lot more interest in me, to me, excuse me, than the Apple phones do. And compared to last year, like, I absolutely prefer this design. As I said, there's something kind of like, this sounds goofy, but there's something just about the design that works. It's kind of charming in a weird way, at least in the pictures that I've seen so far. So it's yeah, it's a really interesting phone. I'm not sure it'll win phone of the year for me in a universe where a OnePlus is going to release a OnePlus 7T Pro, and I love my OnePlus 7 Pro. And then the, the Note 10 Pro is a pretty impressive piece of hardware, too. So it remains to be seen whether it's going to be like, you know, my award winner phone of the year. But I think the fact that we're even discussing it in that way is a huge step forward for them because I don't think there was... Yeah, nobody's talking about the Pixel 3. The Pixel 3 XL was for Yeah, not a chance. And to me, the linchpin really is not even the extra features, not like not even all the good stuff that we know is already going to be good. It's going to be how well Google's face unlock works because this device will not have a fingerprint scanner, under glass, or rear mounted, or anything else. So if Google can get the face scanning right, if Project Soli is involved in some way, shape, or form, and that allows it to you know, do the depth map on your face using radar or LIDAR or some other kind of DAR, and getting it to a point where it can consistently perform at least on par with Apple's Face ID, I think they're going to have a real winner because I think people see the advantages of biometric authentication and using... That is not only your secure method of payment as far as using it to authenticate you when you're logging into websites, using it when you're accessing your password managers. I think that it is a definite advantage for some things. I mean, I do like my fingerprint scanner underneath the glass and and otherwise because I think it works in a number of different and more... I don't want to say geographic because that's not the right thing, but you can use your fingerprint scanner when the phone's in your pocket. You can use it when it's upside down. You can use it when um, the phone is sideways. Like You can use your fingerprint anytime you can hold the phone, which is pretty much every time you've got the phone in your hand. And... The, the face ID is not exactly, you know, it's not exactly at that level yet, but for a lot of other functional things, when you're actually using your phone, when you're interacting with your phone, um, I've used Apple's, you know, Face ID on, you know, the iPhone XS Max that we had as a review unit, and it, it works good. I tried to fool it with sunglasses. I tried to fool it with a hat. If, you know, if our listeners haven't already, they can go out and check my review of that phone on our YouTube channel, and, and you've got me in different you know, comical makeups of trying to fool Face ID, and every single time it got me and it unlocked the phone. So, if Google can, if Google can get to a point where it's reasonably approximating how good Face ID is, uh, I think I think everything else about the phone is already set up for success. And this is really the only thing that's going to make or break it because if it is anywhere close to what we would typically associate as a normal Google level product in terms of the the actual face recognition it's going to be problematic at best and a dumpster fire at worst. No, I, I have high hopes. The leaks are nice. I think it's going to be the best Google phone by a fair stretch. And 
yeah, it's it definitely stands out as unique this year, and I always applaud anybody who's doing something unique when smartphones are kind of converging into this, you know, no bezel design form factor. Um, they're doing something different, and I think they're being thoughtful about the things that they want to offer and the way that they want to do things. And I think, again, like, you know, I, I am the guy that wants, you know, a completely bezel-less phone or a, or a folding phone, so I'm really interested in pushing the envelope. But there's a lot of people out there, and I even see it on, you know, our Android, which is a very um, high-end Android, guys, although it's kind of accessible in there. But um, didn't, that, didn't that subreddit just get banned recently? Yeah, but that was an accident. But um, <laughs> it's just one of those things where uh, there's a lot of people who are saying, like, the bezel-less thing is just stupid and overblown and has gone way too far. I like having a little bit of bezel so that I can, you know, not accidentally touch the sides all the time. And these features that they're adding are actually useful to me. And I, there is – that's an absolutely valid point, I think. Uh, but again, like, they're trying things that are more interesting than what Apple's doing. And it's because both of them are not pushing in the design space, which I just yelled at Apple for. But yet Google is trying these things that you're talking about, where iOS and just I don't know, generally Apple at large does not seem to try things like this. Like they, you know, they don't have a radar system where you're waving your hand. Whether or not that's useful for not or not it remains to be seen. But at least they're trying things to improve the member. Excuse me, member. God, I've been working at a credit union <laughs> to improve the customer experience. What um, since we kind of bashed on um, the iOS 13 beta so far? What do you think about using the beta of um, Android 10? What do you think about its its functionality for you on your OnePlus 7 Pro? I think it's rem- it's remarkable for its lack of like distinguishing features. Like, we've talked about this in years past. Android is just a and iOS are just very, very mature operating systems. But there are very subtle differences in things that Google is doing, but I haven't really noticed anything that I'd be like, oh, wow, that's really a, something that I is, is truly unique. I'll just say as a general perspective, though, it's been very stable, other than Google and their infinite wisdom made it so that Android 10 does not work with third-party launchers when you're using gesture mm-hmm. navigation, which is annoying. So every morning yeah. when I reboot my phone, it puts buttons back on there and then I can change it back to gestures. Awesome, awesome work, Google. Hey, all you need to but do is own a Pixel instead. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, I'm good. Uh, I'm going to enjoy my like 12 gig of RAM and uh, 90 hertz screen and it's not made by LG and a host of other things that are awesome about this phone. Overkill. Uh, but, yeah, it's great. It's been very stable beyond that what I just kind of laid out and it's very refined um Oxygen OS, obviously OnePlus's skin, if you will, is it already offers a lot of the kind of like theming and things that Google's going to start baking into the OS. But um, no, I don't have a lot of bad things to say about it. I don't have really a lot of anything to say about it. My phone, if there's one thing OnePlus excels at, I mean, this phone is always insanely fast. And I think Oxygen OS looks good. And there's a lot of continuity. And other than that, though, I really did not notice a huge difference, if we're being honest. Interesting. Um, and I would tend to agree for the most part. I mean, I got it on my um, my Pixel 3 late, but I did get it. Um, I think I downloaded it on Sunday. And I was a little surprised that I hadn't gotten it before then. But uh, after reading some of the subreddits about some of the problems that other people had, like I was kind of glad that I didn't get it until then. But um, I have it on the Pixel 3 now. And the gesture navigation, because I, you know, my other phone is a OnePlus 6T, so I don't necessarily have any issues with the gesture navigation. I really like it. I think it's much more intuitive and much more fluid. It certainly prevents screen burn-in. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's worth it in and of itself. Um, I like the dark mode, the system-wide dark mode. I think that's a really big benefit. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn on the kind of drag from the corners to launch the Google Assistant thing. I'm probably still going to squeeze my phone because I think that's a much more um, kind of intuitive gesture, and I'm much more used to it having used the phone for such a long time in that way. Um, but I think you're right. I think that there are so many things that are changes under the hood, like the privacy stuff is really good, but I don't think a ton of people are really going to use it. Although I did get a notification today that said something along the lines of, hey, YouTube Music um, grabbed your location in the background. Do you want to keep this or do you want to change it? So I clicked on the notification and I changed it from 
allow always to allow only while I'm using the app and then backed out of it and I was good to go. And I was like, huh, you know, that might actually be better for my battery than the previous system, which it would have grabbed my my location in the background. I wouldn't have seen or heard or known about it. And I would have just wondered like, oh, why is my battery draining so fast? Or why am I, you know, seeing a little bit worse battery life than I saw before? So I think that Android 10 was announced to not very much fanfare, but I think that there are some usability fixes there that are really good. Um, I did factory reset my phone, interest of full disclosure. Uh, I did factory reset my phone after I took the Android 10 update because um, I was more concerned about the problems that other people have been having, and so I didn't want to have those, and I think a fresh install is the best way to go with that. And so far, it's actually been very stable for me as well. I haven't had, I think, but one or two issues, and those were mostly um, right at launch when I was pulling apps um, from the app switcher into memory, and uh, I noticed that it was keeping apps in memory a lot longer. Um, but I, I had some I had some weird issues at first that that eventually just got smoothed out. I think as the phone kind of settled in a little bit with the the new operating system installed. But um, I, I'm I don't know. I, I guess I'm cautiously cautiously easy for me to say cautiously optimistic about how Android 10 has been. Um, kind of like an I guess for lack of a better term like an an iPhone S update in that it's really mostly just, you know, changes under the hood and performance boosts. And yeah, we tweaked a few things and, you know, send you on your merry way. Um, but I think that's kind of what Android and Google in general need. Like they need a win, like they need a solid, you know, single or double to use a baseball analogy. They don't need the home run. Like their hardware can be the home run, their software, they can, they can really settle in on just making things smoother and better and polishing up the user experience. Because I think that's, if they're going to differentiate themselves, that's what they're going to differentiate themselves on. I'm inclined to agree. I don't have a whole lot that I'm asking for from an operating system standpoint right now. I can't think of anything where it's like really lacking or you know what I want. I'm sure there are things that will come out in subsequent years where I may go, wow, how did I live without that? But we just live in an age of very, very stable mobile operating systems, and there's just not you know a whole lot happening right now. Um, but yeah, it's a good release. It's been stable. Um, you know. I, the dark mode, Oxygen OS had a dark mode that I was already running, so true, true. I didn't really, that yeah, was nothing the new there. I was clamoring for, but um, no, it, it's it's good. I, I don't totally totally fine, but I, again, I, much the same way when we're talking about the Apple, it's like I can't remember the last Android operating system update where it was like, oh man, I have to have that. It has something really interesting in it. I mean, it's been. Ice cream sandwich, baby. Yeah, I, like maybe literally. Was that project better? Was ice ice cream sandwich? No, that was jelly bean. Right? No, it was jelly bean. Um, I do remember waking up in the middle of the night and being excited that my Droid Incredible had the system update notification, and I was like, "Yes, ice cream sandwich!" Everybody called it ICS, and I was like, "Dude, I just got ICS! I'm so stoked! I can't wait to try it out!" And that was back in the day when Android updates actually meant that you could use your phone better than you could before because Android was such trash back then. And you had to like hack and mod the crap out of it in order to get it to work good and for your battery to last like more than a day. Um, but yeah, we're, we're at a point now where, yeah, taking the updates and maybe software updates aren't necessarily um, the bread and butter of what Google will do going forward. But I think the fact that they're going to consistently get software patches, they've decoupled some of the system updates so that they can push them out through the Play Store so they don't have to wait for a major version release. I think those things are going to be better for consumers in the long run because, as we all know, Android fragmentation is a real thing and it is a problem, especially for countries outside of the United States. And so I think the more that Google can do themselves and the more that they can decentralize and, and strengthen the um, the OEMs and the carriers of their power with the the updates thing. I think the better off all consumers will be. Um, again, Rene Ritchie and his Vector Show is is like to compare Apple updates to Android operating system updates, and he kind of constantly mocks how many phones are using and running older versions of Android operating systems. But I think if you compare, and I think personally is a much more valid apples to apples comparison, if you compare the Pixels to the iPhones, I think you're going to see a lot more parity in terms of with the platform that Google themselves can control and maintain outside of the carrier certification process. 
eh, maybe not outside of the carrier certification process, but certainly much more streamlined in terms of the carrier certification process, uh, I think that you're going to really start to see some some people benefit from those things that can come directly from Google. And you know, when when Google is pushed forward by other companies, when Apple is pushed forward by other companies, we as the consumer all end up being winners. So I'm I'm for it. I'm all for it. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add. I'm inclined to agree. And yeah, you can take my word for it. I'm a Pixel fanboy. Trust me. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> I have. No, I can't relate because I'm part of the 12 gig RAM master race. But um, dude, dude, the Linux kernel can't even. Pixel. The Linux kernel can't even take advantage of it. So it who cares? It doesn't matter. It runs smooth. That's the thing that I'm actually most excited for. You want to talk about the Pixel Four things that are going to be awesome. The Pixel version of Android mated with a 90 hertz display. I mean, you've seen this because the Oxygen OS is probably more closely like the you know quote unquote pure version of Android than anything outside of Google. But um, the speed of it, it's awesome, right? It flies. Yeah, that's the one thing compared to the Samsung phones. One UI is not nearly as bad as it was certainly, but like my wife has a Galaxy S10 Plus, and when you're using them side by side, the OnePlus 7 Pro feels significantly quicker. Does it actually matter? I don't know that much. I don't think end users care at all. But if, you know, for people who've been paying attention to that, something that they place a premium on, I've never used a phone that's even close to this fast, and the notes aren't. Um, they're still 60 hertz. That's a big part of it. It may just be a placebo because of the 90 hertz, but I don't think so. One Oxygen OS has been amongst the fastest, but yeah, I mean, this phone cranks it's fast and everything like just ridiculous which i enjoy yep i wholeheartedly support it and i am definitely looking forward to seeing what google has announced for us come october so any um any final thoughts on google before we wrap it up yeah, uh, i'll be really interested to see what they do much more so than i am with apple who just is a snooze fast um, huawei is going to announce the mate 30 pro series i think next week if i'm not mistaken i think that's right weeks. Um, so that's going to be interesting since they're on the Trump administration bullshit blacklist. They don't have access to Google Play or Google services. So it's going to be this phone that gets released that runs some kind of, I guess, AOSP-ish version of Android. I'm unclear what they're doing, but I'm interested to see. They're, Huawei does some cool stuff. They're really pushing the envelope and the cameras, and they're doing this kind of like waterfall design. Um, and this phone, if it was running Android, I think would be excuse me if it was running Android with Play Services would be a really intriguing phone much like the P30 was it's kind of like a you know a spec up version of P30 which had some really interesting camera stuff yeah but without Google Play Services I mean it's obviously TOA here and yeah they're, I can't imagine. I, I'm trying to decide if, like, in China, people are so used to flashing play services that maybe it doesn't matter. But I feel like it's really going to struggle in Europe as well. So, I don't know. I guess we'll see. But it's an interesting phone. And, boy, what an age. I, I don't think I ever thought that we would see something quite like this, where Huawei is, like, what, the second? It's either second or third largest OEM in the world, and they no longer have access to Google Play services. Yeah. Um, being on the entity list is not going to be good for anybody. And uh, as my lovely father is wont to say, uh, Huawei's business here is like pissing in the wind. Uh, that ain't going to be a good for anybody. So I'm I'm interested to see from the standpoint of what they can actually produce. But yeah, their their business would not been would not have been here in the US anyways. It would have been mostly Europe and, and Asian markets. So maybe it'll affect them and maybe it won't, but it, it is a good thing when a private company gets caught up in a governmental trade war uh, and anybody who's pretending that it's something other than a trade war is basically lying to themselves. So, um, well, if there is actual evidence of them doing something shady, I've yet to see it. Now, again, I guess the government can't actively disclose that if it's, you know, if they actually know vulnerabilities or backdoors or whatever. But, like, this administration is such a shady piece of shit. I don't believe anything that they say that. I don't know. I'm, I'm having a tough time buying it. I have to see real hard evidence, and uh, I've seen none of that. What I've heard is the same kind of incendiary nonsense that Trump always says. And yeah, it's I rhetoric. I totally agree with you. It's just part of a totally unnecessary trade trade war. But it's bizarre that I don't know. It's crazy that we live in a world where he can literally cripple the second largest phone OEM in the world based off of like 
basically a made up personal vendetta. It's completely, it's what a world we live in, 2019. Yeah, and it, you know, it, maybe if uh, maybe if he'd been allowed to buy uh, Greenland, we would be uh, in a good place. <laughs> well, Greenland or God, I mean, thank goodness they're not based in Alabama because that hurricane. <laughs> It was a close call from what I hear. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's a good place to leave it. So, um, any final yeah. thoughts? Uh, any final thoughts before we go? Yeah. Um, the next couple months are going to be interesting, and then next year, God, it's, before we know it, we're going to be full on into rumor season again. But I feel like next year's going to be like a more mellow year again, where we may see a lot of more like retread designs or very subtle pushes. Um, I have to be honest, the only phone next year that I'm really interested to see so far is the Fold 2, um, which is rumored to be like a real improvement over the Fold 1, um, as far as it may actually have folding glass, which I think is probably unlikely, although rumored, but it's supposed to be something where it's more of a 8-inch form factor, so it's going to be similar to the Huawei Mate X, so it will have like a maybe a more usable front screen perhaps so that, mm. that'll be interesting and we'll see if kind of the fold will start to take off a little bit more but um, yeah we've we kind of hit I don't know we've hit a weird era now we've hit peak smartphone design like everyone I think we've been talking since you know my Droid X back in 2011 about oh yeah well, there's going to be a day where we're going to have fully bezel-less phones where the whole front is just going to be screen and it's like we're basically there and so now we're going to be in an age where if every phone basically is going to move to some variant of the all-screen front design, how do they differentiate themselves from each other if they all look the same? And it, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens here because it seems like what's going to happen is now foldables will be the upscale kind of to your point status symbol devices. And I guess normal smartphones become just i don't know for plebs do they drop in price i don't know regular smartphones are for plebs man anybody that's cool has got a folding phone Uh, you you joke about that now but i'm guessing within two years (laughs) that may actually be the case yeah i was gonna say maybe even sooner than that uh if the galaxy fold two if i fall through with it i'd be making that joke about you now yeah Um, no question no question but uh yeah anyway um interesting stuff for sure Cool. All right, man, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for dialing in remotely, and we'll definitely circle back and uh, probably have to do a wrap-up show after we get the Apple announcement and see if it really was as meh as we thought it was going to be. I'd put money on it, but I'm willing. No bet. It's no bet. For sure. All right, <laughs> All my right. man. Have a good night. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, you can catch us on the socials. We are at Silicon Theory on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, if you enjoyed the show or if you enjoyed our YouTube broadcast, make sure you subscribe, favorite us, give us five stars, tell us you love us, all that good stuff, uh, wherever it is that you're consuming the show. Thanks again, and remember, we will talk tech soon. <laughs>